Welcome to democracyonthemove.org, a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. Content for this episode was recorded on Thursday, August 26, 2021. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. Today we have a very special guest. Well, special to me anyways. We're talking with Ryan Schaefer, who just happens to be my son. Now, Ryan is living the dream in Southern California while I live in the St. Louis area. And because of COVID, I haven't been able to see him face to face in nearly two years, though we talk on the phone and occasionally video chat once or twice a week. And during these many talks over the past couple of years, I've discovered that Ryan, at the tender age of 26, has developed quite an interest in politics. So here we are. Well, Ryan has a degree in film and digital media from the University of California, Long Beach, After graduating, he spent several years doing freelance work. He's produced a number of music videos, worked at a public access TV station in Long Beach, ran a video board for a large church that broadcasts its ceremonies to a worldwide audience, did quite a few of his own videos, and now is working full-time for a large international manufacturer, working in their video department and making marketing videos, product training videos, and whatever other types of videos big corporations require. Along the way, he's picked up quite an interest in politics, and after many phone and video conversations over the past couple years, it occurred to me that perhaps he would be an interesting person to tap for a Democracy on the Move episode, where we can get the perspectives of someone who's living the dream of a filmmaker in Southern California. So, Ryan, welcome to Democracy on the Move, and thanks for joining us today. How goes it, Pops? (laughs) How goes it, Pops? You're going to have to pardon me if I slur my words. It's uh, it's past 10 o'clock at night here, and uh, it's coming up on my bedtime, and I've already had my nightly beer, so... Well, I want to apologize if I slur my words, too, because I feel like it's... I think it's a genetic thing that we have. <laughs> uh, like father, like son, yeah. Okay. When you and I talk uh, one-to-one, we usually get into these mindsets that tend to complain about things or how things are going in this nation. But um, I do like to complain. Yeah, but you know, well, I do too. But you know, I noticed that (laughs) you also have a desire. You also have a desire to look beyond the grief and and find some root causes for the big issues, and that's actually very much impressed me. So this evening, I'd like to talk to you about you know the tendencies toward fascism in this country. I mean, this has been one of my own passions lately. Um, I find it a disturbing trend because I see patterns of classic fascism emerging. You know, like anti-intellectualism, the embracement of yep. wild conspiracy theories. Um, yeah, I like I got I got my ivermectin right here next to me. Paid forty. I paid for I paid forty five dollars for a whole jar of this instead of getting a free shot. Man, let me tell you, best deal <laughs> of my life. And when you're done with that, you're going to give the rest to a horse or a cow that happens to be nearby, right? I tell you, like the people, the people who say, oh, hey, you guys are a bunch of sheeple. Follow the plan. Trust the plan. It's like they're taking, they're taking livestock medicine. Well, that, and that actually fits into, you know, the, the part of fascism actually is the wild conspiracy theories because they try to generate a mistrust in the government agencies uh, and it, it's really weird. At the same time, they, they appeal to a, an extreme sense of nationalism, make America great again. That, that's actually a glorification of a fictitious past that has been ruined by liberal elements. So, um, no, what you're seeing right there, it gets to a dangerous point where people are actually injecting medicine for horses and cows because they'd seen this on Facebook somewhere and they somehow trust that 
more than they trust the intellectuals because of the anti-intellectualism. They would, they would trust that before they trust the intellectuals who have been studying these things their whole life. And this is sort of the this is the disturbing trend, and it's it's actually in my mind it's a it's a uh, aspect of fascism. Well, that's what fascism is. It's an easy solution to a very complex problem. When you look into it, fascism, when it's able to thrive in 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 a nation, isn't really at a time of economic growth. If the country's doing well and if going great, you know, no one's going to want to appeal to fascism because you know it's it, it, it's a ridiculous idea. But you know, because I feel like where our country was headed, um, I know we want to you know uh, talk about Afghanistan uh, mm-hmm. tonight, um, but. Uh, it's incredible that we t- that we go from pro-war nation that Biden is just the one, not even responsible of pulling of, of 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 pulling us out. He's just the one that just he just said, okay, let's just well, Trump set it up, let's just do it. Let's rip yeah. off the bandaid. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like Trump already already start already already had his hand on the bandaid, and Biden's like, well, it's now or never. All right, let's, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's just let's just do it. It's been here for twenty years. We can't. We can't keep this bandaid here, but but anyways, I, and then and then and then Biden gets flack because what we couldn't we should have stayed there longer. Well, he's um, he's a he's a convenient target, right? And so the yeah. Republicans and and I actually I should say GQP because I don't like I don't like to mention the Republican <laughs> yeah. Party because well, I think the traditional Republican Party is actually. Um, what's left well, of it how, is actually is, pretty what, good. What, what, mm-hmm. it, what, what is the traditional Republican Party? Like, I mean, is, mm-hmm. if you're gonna if you're gonna like talk about like real values, I mean, you know, you would have to say before before uh, Richard Nixon comes in the picture. Yeah, I would at least argue that. But then now you're, but then that's kind of like what that's before Nixon was the McCarthy era, era right? Well, yeah, we had um, yeah. In between, we had Ike was a uh, was our president at that point. But yeah, there was there was the McCarthy era. That's true. You have to go back to World War Two. I feel like. Well, I think you have to wind it all the way back in time. I mean, but the thing yeah. about the Republican Party, if you look at uh, their their traditional roots, they've actually been the ones that have pushed a lot of the liberal policies uh, coming out of what they call the Gilded Age, and this is like because the Lincoln, period. Of, he was a Republican. Who is that? Lincoln was a Republican. Yeah, well, he was, yeah, but uh, past his time, though, I'm, I'm talking about more like the turn of the century the, of, of uh, oh. late 1800s, early 1900s, when uh, women's suffrage was uh, was brought up and it was finally uh, passed as an amendment in, I believe, 1919. Uh, the labor yeah. movements, the uh, unionized la- labor movements, um, a lot of civil rights issues came up. And in fact, one of the people pushing that uh, was a prominent Republican. And um, his name was uh, Fighting Bob La Follette. Well, they call him Fighting Bob La Follette. He was a senator, a Republican senator in the state of Wisconsin. Then he, well, he was a governor first, I think. Then he became a senator. But he pushed a lot of these um, more progressive ideas. And it was called the Progressive Era, as a matter of fact, which lasted up to like the early 1920s. And a lot of these really progressive ideas were pushed by the traditional Republican Party. You know, and, and at that point, the Democrats were actually, um, you know, Dixiecrats. They called them. They were the, they were the the uh, the ones that were actually pushing more of the uh, racist sort of the white supremacy sort of. Yeah, that was right before that was right before that was right before Nixon's Southern strategy. 
Right, right. So that all that all got switched over. Right, right after the uh, right after civil rights in the eighteen uh, in the nineteen sixties, and then the roles got switched. Right. I mean the uh, the Southern strategy took off. The Dixiecrats became Republicans, and um, it just swept up through the South, and the Republicans um, became um, pretty much what the Democrats were up until you know a few years before that. It's an interesting twist. Yeah, it's it, it's weird how the how the how the parties uh, switched, but I mean, you know, but even even when that when that did happen, it's no one would the one political party was not like radicalized. Even back when when Nixon, uh, when when he went through his shenanigans, his party held him up to the flame. Yeah, we've become we've become two parties really. There, there's a book, and I've quoted this guy before, a guy by the name of Lee Drutman, who wrote a book called The Doom Loop. And um, in fact, I interviewed him on a different podcast uh, about a year and a half ago. And he had this observation that the Democrats and the Republicans were really two parties. Uh, there, I mean, each one had two parties within itself. There were conservative Democrats and progressive slash liberal Democrats, as well as on the Republican side. So he essentially had like four parties total. And, um, you know, you observe that, you know, when 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 uh, in in the wake of the civil rights era and especially when Nixon started the Southern strategy, it started to homogenize or, or the parties began to draw yeah. the line between them and they began to become very uh, homogeneous among themselves. And so now we really are a two party system, a two party duopoly. Yeah, it, it's just weird now that, you know having to like i guess now seriously get into politics and having to like research you know far back of oh what happened about all this stuff that happened years before i was alive oh yeah exactly yeah 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 well what matters is what's happening right now right and and um, yeah i mean that's what it all comes down to is what what what's going on in the current moment yeah yeah i brought this up uh in a podcast a couple weeks ago um, I talked about the, another podcast run by a guy named Ezra Klein, and he interviewed a political scientist named Liliana Mason. And if you get a chance to listen to that podcast, I think it was recorded a couple of weeks ago. I highly recommend it um, because she had this great observation. She said that, um, you know, she was trying to comment on how Donald Trump could actually sweep through the nation and grab, you know, his base so quickly and so she went back and cited a um, um, a, a poll, not, not a poll, it was, it was a, an experiment that was done with like 8,000 participants. And they interviewed them uh, in the year 2011, then again in 2016, and then every year beyond that. And what they found in the original interview in 2011 was that out of these 8,000 participants, roughly 30% of them had a tendency more or less to agree with the concepts of white supremacy and but they had no place to go they were they were most of them were republicans if i'm remembering the the conversation correctly but there were a lot of them that were democrats a lot of them that were independents well guess what happens in 2016 you know donald trump comes along and starts whispering to these people saying hey you know there's a tent for you there's a place for you under our under our tent 
Yeah, and, I still remember seeing the Charlottesville. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Apparently. I still remember that. I remember seeing that, and I'm like, you have good people on both sides. It's like, wait, wait, well, what, do you, where, yeah. what good people? What What do you mean, white supremacists are good people? What are you talking about? Right, right, and that was even before that, because that was after he was already president. But even before that, he yeah. talked about you know the the um, the you know people coming over the southern border, rapists and murderers and things, and this actually resonated with a lot of people that said, "Well, darn it, I might have voted Democrat in the past, but now I'm going to vote for this guy, Donald Trump," and that's how he's been able to get this thirty percent, you know, of the I mean, plus or minus, right, thirty percent of these people. And then you combine that with the people who are, are naturally Republicans anyways. I mean, this is a winning strategy for him. And it continues to be a strategy. You know, and he, it, it resonates and he gets his, you know, people on board, you know, the Stephen Millers, the Steve Bannons, the Tucker Carlson's and so on. They all get on board with this. And it just becomes this huge it, movement. It's, it's, just, it's, just, just a, it's just a normalization of it. And it's just, it's just kids are taught about Martin Luther King like growing up in school, like, you know, through, through like, you know, the public school system. And then it's like, here, you, you know, here you have a president that's endorsing and taking like advice and talking points from known white supremacists. Well, yeah, it's getting to the point now, you know, that this, you've heard about critical race theory and. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, heard it, all about that. yeah. And this is, it's really interesting how this is twisting and turning itself around. In fact, I've got a, a guy out there who's written a book, a very anti-CRT book. I don't want to give his name away because he's tentatively agreed to appear on this show because I still have to finish reading his book first. But, uh. um, but he has this observation. He says, you know, we shouldn't be, we should be a pure meritocracy. We should be promoting people based on their capabilities, not on their skin color. There should be no, you know, preferential treatment for people who are, you know, black or red or whatever, or, or for that matter, yeah. LGBTQ or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, whoever. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I sort of agree with that. Uh, you know, but meritocracy that, that lives in the land of unicorns, right? It, it's, it's never has been a meritocracy in this country. Uh, it, I don't know. It, it, I feel like it, it, as soon as someone says like, you know, something like that, that's when you hear a libertarian talk, tell you about not paying taxes is going to like per perfectly sustain this country. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that works, honestly. I, I don't I don't know either. Oh, you don't pay taxes. That government didn't take my money. OK, well, then what are you going to do about everything the government does for you? Yeah. And they say, what yeah. does the government do for me as he's driving on his road? Right. You know, just, yeah. As he's, as he's being protected by a local police force and a fire department and, uh, you know, probably talking <laughs> on a cell phone whose frequency is regulated by the FCC who makes sure that nobody else is like using that frequency at that time. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. What yeah. has the government done for me? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah okay. I, I, I have not understood that that mindset of the pure libertarian um it's anarchy is basically what it is and well yeah pretty much at this at this point yeah i mean i could see where you could say libertarian as in don't want want to have government infringe on women's rights for abortion or do what ron DeSantis is doing and go after teachers that defy anti-mask mandates oh yeah try yeah. to go after their salaries but i would say you know a libertarian would could would argue 
less of that. The, what's their flag? The, the tread on me with the, the what's the Oh, they, 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 I forgot what they name. There's a name for that yeah. flag. It begins with a G. I, yeah, I don't know. I want to, I just want to, I think I, that should be just changed to tread on me, daddy, or just something. <laughs> well, that, that, that's an interesting thing, you know, because they're, uh, and this, the same thing is actually happening in Missouri here. We have this attorney general by the name of uh, Eric Schmidt. Uh, and Uh-oh. he's one of my, yeah, he's one of my, um, I like to call him Bullschmidt, but um, <laughs> he, he's one of my, he, I don't understand this guy because he's, he's going around suing all the school, all the local school districts who are coming up with these mask mandates. And he's literally suing them in court using, you know, Missouri taxpayer money to do this. And you, you cited Ron DeSantis, too, who's doing the same thing. And what's interesting about DeSantis, though, is that it's falling apart on them, right? All the school districts are saying, screw you, we're going to go ahead and defy your order against the mask mandates and ignore your threats. And don't forget the, all the other countless lawsuits he's, he's receiving from, like, you know, other entities that are affected by this. Yeah, yeah, well... It's a it's a very and I guess what I was heading it the, the point I was trying to make there was that at one point and this is this is why I talk about the GQP instead of the Republican Party because <laughs> the Republican Party is all about you know local control yet you see these people like Eric Schmidt I talked about earlier or Ron DeSantis or any one of you know you talk about the the governor of Texas Governor Abbott they're all trying to centralize the control and. Well, this is not really the traditional Republican Party. This is the GQP coming up. And the GQP, uh, as you may or may not know, is a play on words, right? It was GOP, which is Grand Old Party, but now it's for for QAnon. QAnon, Right. And what gets me, though, is that I don't see a lot of Republicans standing up to this in the traditional Republicans. I mean, even someone like I would expect someone like even Mitch McConnell to stand up. And say, you know, well, and he, he has in the past, but he he backs he, down, doesn't he? He's just a turtle hiding in its sh- in his shell right now. He doesn't come <laughs> out until some important legislation has to pass that's going to totally own the Democrats, and then he'll just go back in his shell. <laughs> he could come. He could go out of his shell, and the whole government, and the whole you know, you have the QAnon people with the with the horns on, running through the going into the Capitol, and he'll just go back in his shell. You know, he's not going to. He's just not gonna. He'll just. He's just chilling in his shell right now. So that's 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 what that's what he does. But and, I, I guess I guess I don't understand it because you know he himself but I, is. I mean, uh, but I don't get McCarthy though. That's what I don't get because I mean he's the one out there like yelling at all the cameras. Yeah. And he's yeah. at least in, in control of like the House Republicans. And I'm like, well, you're still allowing Marjorie Taylor Greene to spout her nonsense. Same thing with Lauren Boebert. Yeah. Like you're not holding them accountable at all, even though they're like out literally at rallies for unmasked people where yeah. they're out saying stuff like, oh, don't get that Fauci ouchie. Yeah. You know, if they're out there literally, you know, saying that. Well, there is there is an unwillingness even among the I guess my point was there is an unwillingness even among the the Republican people within the traditional Republican Party. There's an unwillingness to call these people out now liz cheney is maybe an exception say, liz cheney, yeah. yeah adam kinzinger in in uh, illinois is another exception but he didn't i get censured because he wasn't on a committee or anything was he um i don't honestly yeah let me yeah i know because i know cheney she got censured because she was on yeah. that committee 
what's weird is she got shut down, you know, like that, you know, there was no, you know, it was literally, they have the power to do something about it. And they did it with, with Liz. And then they just, and then they just, they just basically say, they just call her a rhino. And then that's that, that's, that's her tie. You know, that's, they're just like, Oh, she'll just lose her election. Well, you know, that's the same phenomenon we see with the Capitol Police, right? I mean, yeah. these guys, it, 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 we want to honor the police, right? And I, yeah. I can get behind a lot of this stuff. I mean, I know that there's different people have different ideas of what the police do, but, you know, it, it, the Republican Party would honor the police, but when it comes time for them to actually do their job and protect the Capitol building, yeah, I, now I they're vilified, yeah. right? They were, yeah, they were protect. They were at the Capitol. They were defending actual like congressmen, senators. Well, it, and it's it's part of a pattern, right? I mean, this is this is the ability to lie without remorse or without a conscience yeah. is actually another attribute of fascism because they, a, a true fascist, would tell anything to anybody to make sure that they get. The, the the support and they're really appealing to people that are going to go with them because they have the power and even though i think a lot of people realize you know the republican uh, the gqp does do a lot of lying but that's okay right they can look past that they can look past the fact that they're vilifying the capitol police they can look past you can just you get scapegoated all that's all you have to do because i'm you know Hitler was able to do that. Stalin was able to do that. Anyone that that rose to power, Idi Amin did that with uh, <clears throat> with the uh, with with the Asians in their country because they owned all the businesses and he wanted to give them back to to their to to the Africans and then mm-hmm. and then he literally he literally kicked all the all the all the Asians out and t- and and gave them like three weeks to leave. Otherwise, they weren't. They weren't going to be. They were. They'll literally like. They'll, it'll. They'll. He'll literally jail them, and then kicks them all out. They literally people like drove up to the airport and then left their left their keys in their car and just got on the plane. Yeah. And yeah. and then and then of course all the, the business goes to 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 you know to the people, but they weren't the ones that are that were trained how to run you know a business a like franchise or like something that's set up to right to to you know their contacts around the world where they get their supplies in. So then they. So then. That ends up bankrupting bankrupting them uh, further. It's that's interesting. I never knew about that. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it it's crazy what what it's all what you could what you could do if you just start scape scapegoating. You got to have someone to scapegoat, and this is one of the again, this is another attribute of fascism is you have to find a common enemy, right? And you know, Hitler obviously found you know the Jewish people to be the common enemy here in the states but with hitler um i with him he had he with uh uh joseph goebbels mm-hmm. um he i feel like he goebbels was able to at least get the people on board because he was just a master of like propaganda and just oh, like, yeah. knowing what knowing how to get hitler's word out and speaking of which why isn't why isn't uh mr zuckerberg held accountable why isn't google or why isn't any all any of all these companies like these big tech companies these that have all these platforms that send out all this massive disinformation that ends up getting people hurt and killed, especially now with Delta running around. Are we are we holding them accountable? But is it are are we really gonna say, oh no, it's it's their freedom to, to post whatever they want? Yeah, that that's that's a tough thing to answer though, because you could you could say, okay, where does that end? And I'm not I'm not I'm not advocating for allowing social media companies to do whatever they want and put over whatever they want in their platform. 
there has to be some level of responsibility, but this is a new thing. You know, this is something that mankind has never come up against before. How do you prevent somebody from sending something to someone else that has misinformation in it and a thousand people may be listening in? Does that make it illegal? And if it does, how do you enforce that without looking as though you're becoming militant yourself? So th- these are really difficult questions to answer. And, and so I can understand the, the uh, hesitation to shut down Facebook or, or, to, or to force them to do any sort of censorship. Uh, on the other hand, in a way, it's metaphorically like walking into a crowded theater and yelling fire. You can't do that either because you might say, well, it's freedom of speech. But the fact is, by doing something like that, a lot of people are going to get hurt. So you are inciting violence. Or a more pertinent example might be Trump doing his uh, rally on January 6th and telling everybody, "Okay, go down to the Capitol building and let's take back our country. Well, everybody knows what that means. And so the people who are in that crowd said, well, the president said we could do it. Now we've got his backing. Little did they know he wasn't going to back them up at all. He was going to go back to the White House and, and <laughs> camp out there. But the reality is, though, that he incited that 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 riot. So how do you how do you do that? I mean, how do you how do you get someone into into in a position of accountability for that? I, what I don't get is that when Hitler gave his speeches, at least not at least before he became before he took power over Germany. Uh, his speeches weren't televised. They weren't put out to like where millions of people could watch all the all the stuff, all the ridiculous stuff he says. I don't, and it's weird seeing like, you know, literally I watching footage, the live footage of that rally. I've seen that mm-hmm. of him speaking to that crowd and then cheering them on and getting them all hyped up and then seeing all the footage from, you know, everyone on parlor or Twitter and all that stuff heading over to the Capitol. And obviously on then. Well, the people that, that marched to the Capitol were the ones that attended the rally. They, I don't think anybody yeah. was, I, I would, I'd be surprised if anybody was listening in on, on one of the social media channels and decided to join the crowd. They were all there. And that, that's not so different than what Hitler would have done. Right. Cause they still had PA systems back then. So. I know, but I mean, if he's, if he, Trump's going to say, you know, oh, I didn't incite that rally, but it's like, we documented evidence of it. You, 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 you filmed it yourself. Well, he's being sued by people, by individuals at this point. He's being sued. Is he being sued by, by Dominion yet? Cause I know Dominion's going after his lawyers, but I, and, and the, and the my pillow guy, but are they, have they gone after Trump? Or are they, or are they just waiting? I don't think they are. Uh, I believe that there are some individuals within the Capitol police that are suing Trump directly for inciting the violence that got them injured. Anyways, uh, let's talk a little bit about Afghanistan because because yeah, um, we, we did mention it in the past and I'm, I'm thinking it's going to become a metaphor like Vietnam. I mean, it, oh, it yeah. will be yet another testimony of a failed occupation. And yep. what I've noticed in my short life so far is that democracies and free societies don't do well at occupation because people eventually lose interest in fighting wars in, in free societies. I'm surprised this thing went on for 20 years, but I think part of it is because of the politicians. And the investigation is going to have to be done, but I think also some military uh, military top brass were in on this too, of sugarcoating the this occupation and saying things like the Afghan military is, is able to carry on without us. 
And so the politicians finally said, look, we can't hold off the people anymore. We had this thing going for 20 years. So I think it's going to be a testimony of a, of a failed occupation and also the fact that this whole house of cards, or should I say a pile of lies, suddenly collapses. And we're seeing this catastrophic scene play out this very day, as a matter of fact. Now, there, I think it's up to 13 of our soldiers tragically were killed uh, during the uh, terrorist bombing. And we don't know if it was, if it was ISIS uh, or, 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 or Taliban or whatever. I think the Taliban would be silly to do it, but I wouldn't put it past them. Could have been, maybe it, was, it could have been like a setup from someone else to like get the Taliban. Well, yeah, it could, exactly. It could have been somebody trying to do that to get the Taliban in trouble. But, but I don't want to. I don't want to delve into conspiracies, though. <laughs> well, well, conspiracies conspiracies aren't necessarily bad. They're just conspiracies. Now, if you if you have like a wild conspiracy theory, then that that's a different story. They, they were they were they were they were fun for a while, you know, like reading about <laughs> UFOs, Bigfoot. Oh come on, man! Up. UFOs, cut it out. They're real. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of flying objects that that I cannot possibly identify so a lot of them are um, usually flying in my direction too and i have to dodge them <laughs> but here it is you know we're we're over tr two trillion dollars into this so-called yeah. afghanistan war which I, I don't know why they call it a war because congress never actually declared it as such it started off as a military operation then it turned into nation building and then it turned into a war i don't know how that happened yeah and but... i thought i thought i thought george w <clears throat> gave the mission accomplished uh speech yeah, well that was more like, in reference to iraq he, which, by the way, I think was partially, if not wholly, responsible for the disaster in Afghanistan. But that's a different story. But the but the price we paid so far is over two trillion dollars. Uh, nearly twenty five hundred U.S. soldiers. Uh, I was surprised to find this out. Over thirty eight hundred U.S. contractors were uh, casualties as well. Oh yeah, uh, we yeah we 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 uh we pay we we're our government pays huge huge money to contractors and private contractors. I didn't know they, that we lost that many though. That that's pretty surprising to me. I just saw that statistic tonight, and that that I was floored. Well, I didn't think it was that who much. Who do you think who do you think gets sent in on all the dangerous missions that were you know you don't want to risk American soldiers? Well, you send the mercenaries in, right? So yeah, yeah, I mean that's what that's what they are. Yeah. And the the Afghan national military and police over sixty six thousand died. It's an amazing. It, these numbers are just are are, are flooring me. Um, yeah. Our ally, other allied service members, including NATO member states, over eleven 1 hundred. It's estimated that over forty seven thousand Afghan civilians. Taliban uh, lost uh, close to fifty two thousand. It's been estimated. Uh, aid workers. And here's another one. Journalists, 72 journalists were killed in this whole thing. And so here yeah. we are, you know, it, this whole thing collapses. It, it just collapses in a handful of days, right? We finally say, okay, we're going to rip off the bandaid. We're going to move out. The Taliban came back in and the Afghan military basically surrendered, made their deals, cut their deals and surrendered. Well, because yeah, their government, their government wasn't going to pay them. Right. Well, there's, there's so much corruption in the government anyways. And I understand a lot of these yeah, soldiers weren't being think, paid. Why do you think the president ran off with all the money to, the, to, um, yeah, what, yeah. Uh, uh, what? Uh, was uh, Qatar or was it, yeah, uh, Qatar, UAE? Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, it was a UAE. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. You know, the whole thing collapses. And, and, and I saw this tweet from Mitch McConnell. We talked about him earlier. <laughs> yeah. And, I saw this tweet coming in from him today, and it, it just it just um, 
incensed me in many ways. I mean, I'll, I'll quote it right here. It says, he says, and I quote, and I, I would do it in his voice. I talk like Mitch McConnell, but I can't really do it that well. So, um, but he says, quote, it is sickening and enraging to hear that at least 12 U.S. service members have been killed at the hands of terrorists in Kabul. We need to redouble our global efforts to confront these barbarian, these barbarian enemies who want to kill Americans and attack our homeland. And then he goes and links in a full statement, which says basically the same thing. And I was incensed because it feels like here we go again, right? We're, we're, we're name calling these, calling them barbarian. In fact, well, let me read you my reply to him. Um, I oh, said, wow, you tweeted back at him. Look. Yeah, I tweeted back at him. I didn't get a response from him. He's not going <laughs> to, no, I know. Who's a stand safer person? Turtle, turtle, mo- turtle man moves, moves at a slow pace. So. Yeah, he's, uh, maybe I get a response Let's, in like five years or something. But my tweet back to him was, uh, the people who want to fight wars are not the people actually doing the fighting. And these instigators of war who comfortably vilify whole societies with words like barbarians are the ones that are ultimately responsible for the blood spilled and treasure lost. And I haven't even gotten any likes on that yet because there's a lot of people that are responding to Mitch McConnell's words there. But, but my point was that here we go again. This is, this is yet another aspect of fascism is the vilification of whole societies. And this is a way to perpetuate the war by calling people barbarian and enemies who want to kill us. This instills fear in Americans. And it's like, we have to pull back from this and say, let's just take a breath. And for once I got to agree with Donald Trump, uh, you know, this mark this date down on the calendar, but I I did agree with his sense of extricating ourselves from these foreign engagements. It's it's not paying off for us. Well, to be honest, his ba- I know his base was wasn't super for the war. Mm-hmm. At, like I mean, they weren't like that in general. But of course, they're not going to go come out and say it in the open proudly, like because that's what the liberals would do. Mm-hmm. But you know, I feel like Donald Trump would be, was good to set that up. I just don't know why we all saw him, well, one, negotiate with terrorists at Camp, D- Camp David. By the way, what happened to, whatever happened to we don't negotiate with terrorists? Was that, a, was, that just a, was that just another veiled empty threat to make us sound tough because W was from Texas? Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate in this one right here, and I'm probably going to catch a lot of hell for it too. But uh, I think the reality, I, th- I think at some point either Trump or his, or his team saw the reality of the situation and said, look, the Taliban's going to get in there no matter what. We're going to pull out. We know the Taliban's going to come in. So let's at least talk to them, try to cut some sort of a deal so that we can get out of this thing with, with our skin, maybe save a little bit of face, although I don't think the Taliban is interested in helping the U.S. save face. I mean, that, would have been, that would have been a really great uh, PR stunt for him, I think. that I mean, could have been, he didn't have to do anything other than just say, hey, we're going to leave at this date. Well, remember, remember when he was making fun of Obama, saying, you never give out the date that you're going to withdraw, and, yeah. and uh, here, we, here we go. But, but I well, think in, in a sense... The reality is that you have to, at some point, communicate with your enemy and say, okay, we are going to, this is what we're going to do. Let's cut a deal here. And that'd be the end of it. You know, unless it's, unless it's a war, an all-out war with an unconditional surrender, at some point you have to talk to your enemy. That's just the reality of it. And well, I think I mean, that's, that's where, what, that's that's where Trump was. Did. 
I mean, cue, you know, cue the photo of uh, FDR, uh, Winston Churchill, and Stalin. Well, there's a sense of practicality to it, right? So, you know, we needed yeah. to become un uneasy allies with the Russians at that point because we both had a common interest. Yeah. But uh, it was already known at that point that, um, that, that, the, that the Cold War had already started, so... Even before the second war was over, the second world war was over. The cold war was already starting. No, they probably and they knew he was a they, they knew he was a dictator. Yeah. yeah. So you know. Anyways, yeah. uh, let's, let's wrap it up here. We've been talking with Ryan Schaefer, filmmaker and ordinary citizen living the dream in Southern California. <laughs> uh, thank you, Ryan, for dropping by to chat with us today. Yeah, no problem. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any suggestions for stories and or people you think we should cover at Democracy on the Move, please contact us through our website contact page at democracyonthemove.org contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Or you can send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org. You can also comment on our Twitter page at All on the Move. If you find today's podcast interesting and informative, please tell your friends and family about us. And if you'd like to help sponsor the podcast at Democracy on the Move, please contact us through the website or email. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in for our next episode.